Nishak wears him out, which is, I don't know, that's pretty funny, honestly. It's not a, it's not a phrase you hear very often. Uh, but I respect Granky for this. Wear me out, bro. I respect Granky for speaking his mind on this. He's like, dude, you just wear me out. Like, you no. wear me out, dude. Yeah, that's accurate. <laughs> we wear each other out. Um, and, and now this is reading directly from Nishak's post. Hard to wear someone out when he has never signed for me. This is the only a-hole in Major League Baseball that has been a turd to me. Oh, come, Really? A turd. <laughs> a turd. Um, You're and, a turd. And so it doesn't even end there because uh, he keeps asking him and is like, come on, just like sign a Z or something like that. Do something. Um, and Granky says, no, I would never even sign for you, even if your kid asked. Yo, that's harsh. A little bit of context here. And I don't think, I really don't think that Granky meant this in that way. But Pat Nishek had his newborn baby pass away a couple years ago. So very, very fresh. Um, when he was on the A's, he would like wear a patch on his jersey uh, signifying it. And basically, and that wraps up the story. And Ishek says, so I'm done with this guy. I'm, you know, I'm going to have to go and make a trade with someone to round out this collection. Really weird. That's, well, there's so much there, first of all. We, we have to unpack this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's unpack this. What an academic phrase. So first of all, I don't see why it's such a big deal to sign it. Yeah, on Zach Granke's part. That's number one. Number two, I don't see why it's such a big deal to like keep hounding him in like a public forum like this on Niche Expert. Number three, I get what Zach Granke is saying, especially since Zach Granke has been so like public with his like social anxiety and stuff. Um, to be like actually worn out. Like we said that as like a it's a joking phrase, but like maybe he actually legitimately was like <laughs> yeah. mentally, emotionally worn out yeah. from just like being in the public eye. And then Pat Nishek is just, like, hounding him. But then, like, Nishek denied that he was even being a hound about it. Like, he was just saying. And then they got into Nishek got into it with, like, Eno Saris on Twitter. And, like, I don't know. It's just a very, very weird thing to me on both ends. Like, that one, you wouldn't just sign the ball or sign the, like, card or whatever. It was baseball cards, right? Yeah. You wouldn't just sign your own card. I mean, you sign a million autographs a year anyway. Why not just... Does Granky not sign autographs? Yeah, I think I was reading up on this a little bit, and I think that he doesn't really sign autographs very often. I think it's pretty rare. One comment on Facebook, which is obviously a very academic source, uh, that's where I go for most of my school papers. And stuff. I actually just go to the ads on Facebook. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, one commenter says that he looked into it, and actually it, it turns out that Granky didn't think it was Nishek asking he thought it was his former teammate Brad Ziegler asking which is like another weird wrinkle that like um so Granky doesn't really sign autographs but he was going to maybe make an exception for his former teammate and then found out it was Nishak and like totally turned him down I don't know man uh this is feels like a lot of he said he said on both sides and I think you're right I mean I on Granky's part it's on the one hand it's very easy to just kind of sign and walk away on the other hand, he's totally within his rights to say no, right? Like, he has that agency, like, as a Major League Baseball player, whether it's, you know, a quote-unquote colleague of yours or not, you can be like, yeah, I just don't really want to do this. I'm sorry. And on Nishak's part, I think it was a little weird that he went and whined about it online. I didn't That's... think it was cool that he called him, like, socially awkward. Yeah. Like, he here's the quote, I guess, from his post. I then let him know what I thought of him again and being the socially awkward guy he is, ran back to the dugout and went inside. So I'm done with this guy. Yeah. Like, okay, so what? He's socially awkward. Yeah. I don't really. I don't, like, I don't really get what Nishek was you know trying to. I'm do. pivoting. I'm pivoting. Here's my take. Yeah. Zach Granke, don't sign it ever. Yeah. Nothing. No, I agree with you on I'm that. I'm back on Zach Granke's side. I don't understand what Nishek's point was in writing this post other than to just air his dirty laundry and make it seem like Zach Granke was a really bad guy. He didn't sign an autograph. Like, he's not the devil. Let's be real here. He actually is the devil. Yeah. Damn, we figured it out. Yeah, and like you were saying, then he went on Twitter and was like, you know, not backing down from his position, was like responding to people and furthering this argument. I don't know. I, I'm i on Granke's side with this one. Nishek seems like a really good guy, but like if someone says no... That's when you walk away. Yeah, facts. You don't in, need a reason for saying no. You in just say in no. every situation in yeah, life, basically. This turned very political. <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving on to some lighter news. Uh, 
there was this piece in the New York Times by James Wagner, namesake, shout out, <laughs> who is the Mets beat reporter for the New York Times. So he has like, he mostly writes about the Mets. He was the one who wrote, if you've been listening to all of our shows, which most of you probably have, since you're probably our parents. <laughs> uh, James Wagner was the person who wrote the Curtis Granderson like staying over hydrated story that we like talk about way too much yeah, for 20, our a 2017 game. classic <laughs> <laughs> he had a piece in the new york times that was essentially talking about how it's not just wilmer flores who loves the show friends wilmer flores if you don't know walks up to the theme song from the show friends and everyone thinks it's like a cute little thing but apparently there's a lot of baseball players who are from like south america or like spanish-speaking countries who watch the show friends to learn english and try to like assimilate into the dugout culture um and it's just this really cool like neat little piece that you would never know and you would never even think to know if you didn't have like beat reporters who were like in the dugout all the time uh so i just i think that was really cool what did you think of that piece i thought it was really interesting yeah uh guys like freddie galvis of the Phillies, Luis Severino of the Yankees. These got what these guys will Galvis. do. Galvis. Galvis. <laughs> every time, every time I'm watching a Mets Phillies game, uh, Keith is always like, and Freddie Galvis with the single up the middle. He like over exaggerates it every time, and it's like it's one of those things where like he's saying it the right way, but because he's saying it so often, it's like, is this really the right way it's pronounced? Because it sounds ridiculous when you say it. But anyway, um, yeah, what these guys will do is watch the show. Uh, in English, but with Spanish subtitles on, and you know, which is a pretty good way to like start to learn a language, especially when you're doing what these guys are doing and coming home and watching it every night, right? I mean, it's this classic American TV show, and just kind of by association and looking at what at the words on the screen and hearing what they're saying, you start to kind of figure out, um, you know, colloquial terms and and what this common parlance is, and I, it's just it's just this really fascinating way that um, this kind of cultural legacy, this piece of American television has translated over into this new era and taken on a whole different meaning for players who are kind of trying to assimilate more and more into American culture. I think it's really fascinating. I think we don't talk a lot about like how hard it is to come from your country and try to be like have these cameras in your face all the time and and now with like beat reporters with their smartphones just like with a smartphone like this close to your face all the time and um and just how hard that is to like uh say the right thing like and to not have a moment that can turn into like a 10 second clip of you being pissed off like i think so much of what we talk about with guys like young hotheads like yasiel puig like imagine what it must be like to come from cuba and like not really speak english that well and then be thrust into the spotlight of Los Angeles and to have like a online campaign for you to make the all-star game after like 40 games of your rookie season. Yeah. And not have a ton of institutional support either in terms of like, uh, like making that transition, right? Oh, here's your um, personal English tutor, right? Who will help you um, find ways to, uh, you know, figure X, Y, and Z out about American culture, whatever. You're largely on your own when you come over here and forced to kind of make this quick adaptation. Yeah, and, and another thing that we don't talk about is how important it is to have other Spanish speakers in, in the locker room like or on the team at all. Like, And one of the things many a Mets fan has taken frustration with this year is that Esdrubal Cabrera hasn't been traded. But by all accounts, Esdrubal Cabrera is like that, not, fa- not father figure per se, but he's like that good clubhouse guy. He speaks Spanish. He can tie everyone together because he's a positive guy around the locker room and he can speak to them. He can speak to other younger players or just other players in general, like Wilmer Flores, um, like Ahmed Rosario, who they just called up in their native language. And like, we talked about that a little bit with Ichiro is that he wants to speak his native language just because he has the right to do that. And just like any Spanish speaking player does uh, in dugouts all around the United States. And I think that's something that we just underrate in terms of like, you know, this guy doesn't seem like a good teammate. Well, maybe that's because he doesn't know how. Like, he just doesn't know how to say what he wants to say to his teammate. And then um, you kind of get, like, 
when you don't know a language, you get stage fright from what you want to say. Like you repeat it in your head over and over and over and over again and you like rehearse it and then when you go to say it, like it just doesn't come out the way you yeah. wanted it to. So maybe like it's just it's literally just lost in translation. Uh, the way that we interview people um and i know a lot of the times you see like a translator next to someone while they're being interviewed like cespedes uses a translate uh translator i don't know man it's it's got to be hard to know that every day you come into the clubhouse and there's an expectation that you should be getting better at english when you don't necessarily need that like you wouldn't have needed that if this team didn't want you to leave your home country and come play for them yeah and you know there are some major leaguers who will end their big league career still not having a full grasp on that language. And, you know, there's a longer conversation to be had around this, but you then, after that, are essentially kind of left out on your own, right? You don't have that... um, Once you retire, you don't have that support group. You're in this country that you really didn't exactly spend a whole lot of time exploring and getting to know because you were focused on this singular thing, right? Yeah, you don't just get to, like, walk around to a coffee shop, like and try to and just test out your english ordering stuff because like you're a famous athlete like you can't just walk into a starbucks yeah and live your life yeah and i know that i the article says that some players will receive some english instruction but again that's like very basic stuff right and what flores even says in the article is that like yes you can learn like the basics in the classroom <laughs> but a show like friends uh, does a really good job of um teaching you how to like speak in the clubhouse and and on the street or anything like that exactly um another thing that i take specific issue with is like pundits or fans or just racist people in general getting angry about a player not learning english and not being able to give interviews in english like don't be so hypocritical like you try working a full-time job and then coming home at night and learning a new language like it's not easy like try working a full-time job in that language that you're trying to learn and then come home and still try to learn it, right? Exactly. That doesn't necessarily mean you learn it faster because, like, a lot of this stuff can just go totally over your head. Like, I spent four months in Italy studying abroad and I wanted... Oh, you're so cultured. You're so annoying. (laughs) And I wanted to learn the language. I wanted to learn it bad. And I, like, mentally in my head, everywhere I went, tried to learn, like, a new phrase, a new thing. And I came back here and I still have, like... an like an elementary school level of it, like less than that, you know? So, and all I was doing was going to school and like eating a shit ton of pizza. (laughs) (laughs) So I could not even imagine going over there and playing like a professional sport and having to learn the language. Like I just have so much respect for the guys in this piece who are like taking it to another level and like watching a show and and, like having the, the energy and the effort to like care enough to like learn this language and want to do this like that's so dope that's just so respectable oh totally and there's a great line in this piece that says for at least one generation of americans friends endures as a cultural touchstone the glowing chunk of 1990s amber but its runaway popularity stretched far beyond the united states and for some latino uh, baseball players it is something more a language guide a rosetta stone disguised as six twenty somethings commingling in a manhattan apartment I love that. That's I love nice. that image. <laughs> yeah, that's nice. Yeah, so I I thought that was really cool. And this is these are those stories that you really like to read about in the middle of the season, especially when it's kind of dragging. Um, this is the kind of thing that I don't know, cheers you up, brightens your day a little bit. Yeah, that's a cool piece. That's yeah. cool. Well done, James Wagner. Yes. Props to you. Round of applause. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Last little bit of short banter before we get into a, our longer segment for the day. Your squad is doing something very weird. Can you tell us what it is? Yeah, so Susan Slusser, who is uh, one of the A's beat writers, tweeted out the other day that the A's... She's a good one. Yeah, she she is a good one. Um, That the A's were randomly selecting 100 fans from social media to be invited to the ballpark and try and hit a home run. For season tickets? Oh, it's only a hundred fans. I was under the impression that you could anyone, anyone could try. can walk up. <laughs> no, that would be awesome. It's um, just like an American Idol style <laughs> audition. There's just lines going on. like thousands of people. This take weeks. <laughs> They're postponing games so that people fans are flying can try in from other cities. <laughs> Yo, I would. Are you kidding me? Yo, that'd be so fun. That would be fun. Um, but basically, yeah, they randomly select a hundred fans and bring them out to the ballpark, and. The the details are if you're already a season ticket holder and you hit a home run, next year's season tickets are free for you. If you're not already a season tickets holder, 
you get one of the like lower tier season ticket packages, like a pick 24 games that you want to go to throughout the year, um, which I don't know, kind of a ripoff. I feel like if I hit a home run, no, I want my season tickets, man. <laughs> Are you kidding me? I want 81 games of A's baseball. They're probably like just combed through Twitter and found a bunch of like nerdy looking people who like definitely can't hit a home <laughs> well, run that's, in that's MLB what, Park. That's what this SB Nation article uh, pointed out. Like what happens if you just accidentally pick like a bunch of guys just out of college, like college <laughs> baseball players or like coaches who, who still have the tools. Yeah. Um, but yeah, very weird thing to do. It feels like they're doing a lot of um, promotions right now or ways to like get the fans re-engaged because of like, you know, a decade of disdain and disappointment. I was going to say, I feel like they should pick 100 fans. Anyone who doesn't hit a home run should get season tickets. And anyone who does should just get a, like a 10 day contract offer. <laughs> uh, yeah. Like, yo, fair. you got a little power. <laughs> got a little Matt Olson in you. Um, so if, if none of the 100 fans hits a home run, which let's be real, that's probably what's going to happen. Yeah, no one's going to hit a home run. I don't you know, know how hard it is to hit a home run in a Major League Baseball stadium. Yeah, so so hard. Are they letting them use a metal bat or do they have to use a they wooden actually, bat? I think that they are letting them use an aluminum bat. Oh, okay. That's which a is li- a little, little easier, easier. Even still, I'm not sure I can hit it 370. No. Yo, I'd be, <laughs> I'd be like hard line drive to left field. That'd be like my peak. So here's the thing. If no one hits a home run, the person who hit the ball farthest wins. So there will be a winner. So now that makes it a little more interesting because yeah. you go in with the mindset, all right, I am in the same boat as everyone else as uh, I'm probably not going to hit a home run. Wait, how many pitches do you get? One. Yo, <laughs> no, that's impossible. That's literally impossible. I know. Major I've, league players can't do that. Well, I want to I wanna know what the details are. Like, is it go, are they going up here throwing batting practice? I can't imagine they're going to give you one 95-mile-per-hour pitch. All right, then I'll throw a BP at 95, but yeah. No, no, but that's what I'm saying. Like, I'm saying oh, it, it has to be batting practice. They're not going to, like, uh, put <laughs> Sean Mania out there to, like, pump 92 by you. Sorry, one shot. <laughs> The Mets do this like Cindergard is up there. Just, <laughs> for some reason, he's throwing like 100 pitches. Um, yeah, I wouldn't even be in the box at that point. I'd have like one foot out. I'd be wearing a diaper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you get one pitch and you can. But here's the thing: now you you get to the ballpark, you're looking around, you're like, I don't need to hit a home run. I just need to hit it farther than these 99 people. Now nah, it's a little more interesting. I want right? to go last. Yeah, yeah. You want to you want to <laughs> see what you got to do? Are you trying to uh, poke it the opposite way? Maybe. Uh, Dude, it, you only get one pitch. That's that's clinically insane. You know how many people are just gonna whiff? Like eighty. <laughs> eighty people are just gonna swing straight through it. Yeah. We so you and I and a, a bunch of our friends from the newspaper and from the radio station played on an intramural softball team last fall, and for some stupid reason. The rule was that you started every at bat in a full full count. It was a two in a two two count. Oh, in a two two count. Yeah. Okay. So you started every at bat in a two two count. And if you fouled it off, you were out. That's, that's it just, a strike. It just counted as strike three. This this wasn't even baseball or softball. Like, it was like neat. they just they just changed the rules of the game because like it's like basketball, but you don't have to dribble. <laughs> because the like uh, umpires or whatever, the people who were managing it, like just wanted to get out of there as quick as possible. Yeah. So they're like, "Let's go, guys! Foul ball, you're out. Foul ball, you're out. Oh, you crushed that one, but it was slightly foul. You're out too. Sorry." Yeah, we had literally someone hit a home run, like bombed one, and it went slightly foul, and yeah. he was out. But anyway, point being that many of us just accidentally just swung through it so like by like the third game we tended to just try to just make contact just half swing like we weren't even trying to hit home runs anymore we were just like check swinging essentially (laughs) so that we could get on base so that's underhand soft pitch big like the ball was like big and bouncy and like very easy to hit with and this is like a baseball being thrown at you at like 70 and you only get one swing that's kind of Nearly impossible. Oh, and yeah. Are you kidding? I would totally roll one over to third base or something <laughs> like that. Dribbler back to the pitcher. <laughs> but like, it's not like the A's don't have more than a couple sets of season tickets to give away. Why are they making it so hard? I don't know, man. I really don't know. Let's call them up and ask. Yeah. Yo, well, A's PR, what's good? Apparently this already happened. Apparently it happened on Thursday. I can't find any update on who the winner was or how far they hit it or anything like that. We don't know. Maybe someone did hit a home run. Bullshit. So uh, I feel like they would have tweeted about it if someone had home. I feel like they probably would have. But I'll follow up with my girl Susan Slusser, 
Um, right. we'll and get, we'll uh, get back. To we'll you on we'll this get one. back to you on this. <laughs> Sit on the edge of your seat for a week. <laughs> MLB players are amazing in batting practice. Yeah, like I I got to go on the field for the Nationals Mets um, batting practice one time at Nationals Park, and Rene Rivera was hitting like 450 foot bombs to right center. Yeah, Rene Rivera has like 12 career home runs. I can't even imagine what watching Giancarlo Stanton take BP looks like. Oh, my God. It's so effortless. You know, they've been having a conversation a little bit on Effectively Wild about, like, whether batting practice is, you know, does anything. And the consensus is that it probably doesn't. But you know why they keep it around? Because it makes these guys feel good. Because Rene Rivera (laughs) can go out and, like, crank out 430-feet home runs. I mean, whoever, man. Rene Rivera, who's not even on the Mets anymore. Sad. No, come on. You get to you get to go out before the game, boost your confidence a little bit, hit a few home runs, just stroke some liners to left. Yeah. Like, who wouldn't want to do that? Even if you're getting nothing out of it, that's it's fun. <laughs> it's just fun to do. Yeah, a lot of baseball is just sadness and failure. <laughs> <laughs> and this is just, like, mostly success. This, Yeah, this is the game where you fail seven times out of ten. Like, if you can, before that failure, like, feel good about yourself for just a little bit, <laughs> why not? <laughs> yeah, that's facts. Yeah. All right, when we come back, uh, some players that you probably forgot about yeah this is like we're we're doing like the amnesia weeks yeah like last week was stuff that you forgot about in 2017 and this week is going to be just players that you forgot about from the mid-2000s <laughs> <laughs> with a neighbor next door in his pesky wife you started a job that you hate when you're sober Okay, so we are back. Yeah, we're back. So you recently tweeted out a piece from the Mercury News. Yeah, San Jose Mercury News. Yeah, and it was actually a... where my dad used to work. Oh, shout Fun out! Fact. Yo, shout out to the Mercury News. Though. Yeah, shout it out. And RIP to the Oakland Tribune while we're at it. Yeah, accurate. <laughs> uh, anyway, so it was about Tim Lincecum and how he's just kind of like legitimately fallen off the face of the earth. Yeah. Um, so it was by Daniel Brown, who's. Um, I guess like a sports beat reporter. Again, another story about, you know, some weird baseball story coming from beat reporters. Beat reporters are important. Yeah. Pay um, them. And yeah, it was just just bizarre story about how Tim Lincecum, no one knows where he is. So Dan Brown even went to his um, address in Washington and like- I can't believe the guy who wrote the Da Vinci Code is now a beat reporter <laughs> <laughs> for the Mercury News. <laughs> Um, he went to his house and like knocked on the door and like, this no was kind of creepy. It was but... a little creepy. Um, yeah. He says his editor like sent him out to literally find him, which like, okay. But like, he literally <laughs> couldn't find him. So he, I mean, this is an incredibly well-sourced story. I mean, he was talking to, uh, I think Brian Sabian is quoted in here and he was talking to like players, you know, and coaches on the team and everyone is, ta- you know, talking about how much they love Lincecum and he's such a weird guy and really marches to the beat of his own drum and like basically every one of them is like, yeah, we don't really know where he is right now. We like we just haven't heard from him. There was a anonymous player in here who says that he texted Lincecum, happy birthday a few weeks back, and just no response. Like did not hear back. Um, this is the life I want to live. Yeah, actually, um, my theory is that he's living on a commune somewhere, just smoking weed every day. That's probably actually what he's doing right now and i have so much respect for him he just like launched his phone into the bay yeah (laughs) no he he always seemed like one of those guys who kind of like was you know i mean he was like the freak but he was also like the kid right i mean this goofy dude who was out there always having fun but never really wanted to be in the spotlight all that much um and it's it's really funny because he talks about um his college and his high school as well and neither of those pl- institutions have, like, stayed in touch with him. Like, they both reached out to Lincecum, you know, as, like, one of the biggest of their alumni. He just, like, doesn't return his calls or whatever. <laughs> doesn't return their calls or whatever. Like, he just ghosts them. He ghosts everybody, which In I, 2017, like, 
Props to you, dude. It's I, hard to do. It is super hard to do. But then again, like he's a very unassuming looking normal white guy with long hair. He could probably literally just walk around San Francisco and people wouldn't know who he was. Maybe, but like also, you know, again, there's like I'm I'm just gonna like basically read the entire story on air at this <laughs> point. But like, you know, he was talking about um, We do this a lot. Situations where he would go out to eat at like a pizza restaurant or whatever and would like be mobbed by fans who like were like, Tim, eat my slice of pizza or something, which is like, first of all, what? Why? Why do you want that? <laughs> Look at this picture of Tim Linscombe eating my slice of pizza. <laughs> like, do you want him to eat the the like normal part of the pizza and then like you keep the crust or something? <laughs> like, I have a lot of questions about this. Yeah, that's us. <laughs> but anyway, it you know, it's just we'll put the link to it in the description because it's just this bizarre quasi profile of this guy who just disappeared. And you know, but for the for a few years there was like the lifeblood of the Giants, right? The 2010 yeah. Giants, the 2012 Giants. He was one of the biggest faces in all of baseball, right? And pretty widely beloved. Tim Lincecum was maybe the most contradictory baseball player I will ever see in my life. Like, just what, like looking at him on the mound, you're like, all right, this dude's going to throw so much junk. Like, I'm going to get like six change-ups in this at-bat. And then he would get up there and he would have that weird like twist back and like rock forward motion that he did, and he would just pump like ninety seven. Yep, it was just so much fun to watch, <laughs> and <laughs> so fun to watch. So fun to watch. <laughs> He's such a fun to watch. Such a fun player to He's watch. Such a fun to watch. <laughs> <laughs> and just like to, to watch his uh, meteoric rise and precipitous decline was just so sad. It was really. Hard. It was like that was hard to watch. Yeah, honestly. and as. Like, even you as an A's fan, like, were ride or die for Tim Linscombe. Yeah. I mean, like, I'm not I'm not going to say I was out here rooting for him on an everyday basis, right? Like, still um, a bit of a palpable dislike for the Giants. But as an individual human, he was, I think, a fascinating character. And of all the Giants in that era when, you know, A's fans were grumbling because we had not really hit any highs in a few years, Tim Lincecum was the this larger-than-life character who it was very easy to get behind just, you know, in his personal life. I mean, kind of being scrutinized um, for what he was doing off the field. and uh, <laughs> But, you know. Just a little tangent on that. Can we just thank Major League Baseball for not having strict marijuana testing policies? Like, that's smart. Anyway, this... Long story short, this was a, this fascinating look at this player who had this, you know, meteoric, as you said, this kind of meteoric rise and then very swift fall from grace just because injuries derailed him. I mean, that motion was not going to hold up forever. Um, it held up for pretty long, it held all things considered. For, I think, longer than many people thought it would. Like, um, every time I watched him pitch, I was like, he's going to snap in half. Yeah. And he more or less did, right? I mean, he kind of tried to make his comeback last year. And uh, that was that was sad. That was really hard to watch. I mean, he was just, you know, sitting. It's like watching Jared Weaver still try to pitch this year. Yeah, I mean, he was sitting like 89. And I don't know. When when you're the guy who relies on that uh, blazing fastball, that's probably not going to cut it. Yeah. Um, but anyway, this, uh, you know, we read this piece and kind of wanted to open it up a little bit as far as talking about other guys who we maybe like watched growing up or something like that, who at one time were, you know, considered the faces of baseball, right? These stars. And then for one reason or another, just kind of had that stardom cut short, right? Usually due to injuries or just a decline in effectiveness or something like that. You know, a lot of these guys are mid 2000s, early 2000s guys who, you probably forgot about. I know that I certainly forgot about some of these guys. We were like throwing names back and forth to each other, and we were like, "Oh, oh yeah." <laughs> All right. So I think just to start it off and get him out of the way, I think like the token guy for this conversation is Kerry Wood. Yeah. And I think that is one of the most depressing ones that we're gonna list because we were robbed of like possibly a top five to ten pitcher of all time. Yeah. Just in the short like stint that we saw him. He, I mean, I, I don't really remember watching him just yeah. because he's like he's like late 90s. Yeah, that's what I was going to say is we could have grown up watching him. And, you know, I mean, not to make it about us, but we didn't get to do that, right? <laughs> no, to totally make it about us. He would have been our Pedro. Yeah. Like he would have been our other Pedro, you know. Yeah. To miss out on that opportunity is just incredibly depressing. And 
when I watch Mets pitchers get hurt, it my mind automatically flashes to a guy like this, and I hope that it doesn't happen to any of them. But you know, that's just that's part of the game is that human arms are not meant to throw a baseball ninety eight miles an hour, so it just happens. But Kerry Wood is famous for holding the record for most strikeouts in a game, right? Yeah, the 20 strikeout yeah, game. The 20 strike 20 strikeouts. Ridiculous. I've watched a supercut of those 20 strikeouts on YouTube uh, a handful of times now and they are just a thing of beauty. He I mean, he just knew where to place the ball too, right? So he ended up having a 14-year career, which is really kind of wild if you think about like how often he's talked about as being injured and he being the first of this modern era of pitchers who have just had their career completely derailed because of injuries. Right. Um, but but also halfway through that essentially had to convert to relief, right? Exactly. Because so, he was not going to hold up over a whole season. Yeah, and when he converted to relief, you just become extremely less effective for your team in terms of like war, overall production, um and he just didn't have the stuff yeah. anymore. Like his fastball, I remember him just becoming a junk pitcher. And that's fine. You know, he made the most out of his situation. So props to him. Yeah, but. And there are guys who have made that work. But it was like, you know, after 28, um, put together a few years of pretty good relief. But essentially, I mean, had his last effective season at 34. So after like four or five years of being a good starter, he had four or five years of being a good reliever. Damn, dude. In 2008, at age 31, as a, I think, reliever. Um, he made the All Star team and he had four point six seven strikeouts to walks. It's pretty good. It's a pretty good year. <laughs> yeah, eleven K per nine. Yeah, but um, anyway, so that kind of sets the tone for this conversation. But we're gonna swing the tone. Sad. We're gonna swing the tone <laughs> upwards as we move on. So who's the like one of the first guys that came to mind for you? Well, one of the first guys who came to mind for me, um, and this is a guy who watching him would always make me happy was Dontrell Willis. This guy. I think embodied what baseball is all about, which is I know a trope that gets kind of tossed out there a lot, but he really was having so much fun out there and always had a smile on his face. And there was even, there was a Bleacher Report profile of him from a couple years ago that basically told you, you know, don't be sad about the decline of Don Willis. He doesn't want you to be sad about it because he's always having so much fun. And, you know, one of these incredible clubhouse guys and that, wind up the the massive leg <laughs> kick was a thing of beauty yeah that was art that's just pure art baseball yeah. for the sake of art also got to shout him out because he represents oakland and he grew up an ace fan so uh, nice so but yeah he god in 2005 look i you know games one is not uh we all recognize the flaws of it, but he won 22 games and led the league, came in second in Cy Young with the 2.63 ERA. I mean, he won the Rookie of the Year two years before that. It was really sad because he really only had four years of effectiveness, which is kind of wild if you think about it. Like, I feel like he has, part of it is due to his larger-than-life personality, but he left so much more of an imprint on my memory of baseball kind of around that time in the mid-2000s. I mean, the other thing is that he won a World Series, that's why. Well, yes, that's true. Um <laughs> Yeah, after 2006, which is his age 24 season, just could not get it back together after that because of injuries. And again, uh, some of these, the reason that these guys oftentimes get derailed is because they have some unique quirk about them that just lends themselves to injury, right? And this is the thing that um, scouts and major league teams always get really worried about is you do something really weird and quirky that works for you, but one of these days, it's not going to work for you, right? Yeah. I mean, these days, major league players are like freaking made in a lab somewhere yeah. to, to all have, you know, beautiful rotations and the Corey Klubers and Justin Verlanders. Roll but, their hands over on their yeah, swing. Exactly. And, yeah. yeah. These, these were like the days of the weirdos, man. So, three things stand out to me about Don Willis. Number one, obviously, the leg kick. Number two, the way that his hat was literally never on straight once in his whole career. And number three, dude could hit. Yeah. Dude could really hit. He hit like seventh for them yeah. in most of his starts, which is like, all right, the Marlins probably didn't have a top-to-bottom lineup at the time <laughs> <laughs> after the World Series team because the Marlins comically just traded away all of their good players. Yeah. But he was like batting seventh and like hitting bombs. He was like Bumgarner before Bumgarner was cool. So Dontrell Willis. Oh, also a fourth thing, I guess, was his nickname was D-Train. Yeah. <laughs> 
mad respect. You gotta have a lot of self confidence to nickname yourself. Or maybe he didn't nickname himself D Train, but he definitely let it ride. So Oh yeah, it's his Twitter name right now. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Uh so Dontro Willis, man. Yeah, man, sad. And you know, I we said that we were gonna bring this on the upswing, but I'm just gonna say one thing that's actually sad. You know who he reminded me a lot of, both in the uniform and the personality is Jose Fernandez, who actually a couple days from now is the one year anniversary of his death. And just, you know, the ways that these two guys um, managed to shine on the field, but also in the dugout, right? And lift everyone up and be one of those guys who always had a smile on his face and embodied what the game of baseball was all about. That's another guy gone too soon. So, yeah gone way too soon yeah and that's so fresh i didn't even like think because we were thinking back to like yeah, people yeah. from like the mid-2000s but honestly jose fernandez was one of the most satisfying players to watch that i've ever seen in my life like maybe the most and he was doing it to my team like he he would like just strike out 14 minutes and i'd be like damn nicely done yeah round of applause yeah it was impressive Don, but, uh, Don Trell's still kicking man I think he's on like MLB Network nowadays or he was at least a couple years ago I don't know what he's up to now I think he's like kind of like commentating I think he came out and criticized like the Marlins pitching staff like <laughs> earlier this year and I'm like yeah I feel it's like a, that's, just, that's low hanging fruit <laughs> yeah, come on <laughs> I couldn't do that <laughs> all right uh, uh moving on yo I got my man and this is not going to be all pitchers. We have some position players coming up later, but just for some reason, pitchers just come to mind um, most prevalent because they have their career shortened the most often. So next up for me was Eric Bedard. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me if you remember Eric Bedard because he was filthy for like in 2007, he came in fifth for the Cy Young. He had 10.9 strikeouts per nine and he was only giving up seven hits per nine. He struck out 221 guys on the season, and uh, he had a 3.16 ERA. Um, but his ERA plus, so I guess everyone was just mashing in 2007. <laughs> his ERA plus was 146. So he had a really good year, and ever since then he's just been like oft injured, and he's never really been able to put together a season of more than like he's never been able to consistently put together seasons of like. 160 plus innings you know it's always it's yeah, like up and since, down since he's been 28 which is like kind of the you know 160 180 innings is like the rule of thumb for a pitcher who can get through a season right? yeah and really after that was never really t- able to it's go like beyond 81 what, 83 like yeah. 129 completely missed the 2010 season right yeah and so we've said multiple times it's really sad to see that these guys like cannot continue on the path that they were on but this like eric bedard is really like you want to talk about falling off the map. I was like, damn, this dude is going to be like one of the predominant lefties in the game for a while now. Like when he was with the Orioles, yeah, um, he was killing it. I remember in like my MLB The Show, because you know that's how I judge like most players. Of course. Is that I assembled a dynasty with the Mets and I traded for him. Like I, I needed to get another lefty arm besides Johan Santana. And my squad was loaded. <laughs> and I was like, yo, Eric Bedard bringing up the back end. Like that's a great fourth starter. <laughs> <laughs> But he really just like on his baseball reference page, his photo is in a Dodgers uniform. He played for the Dodgers. <laughs> when is he currently playing for the Dodgers? Because there are no seasons listed where he played for the Dodgers. Yeah, they must have like signed him, and he, like he couldn't even <laughs> get on the mound. Damn, which I feel bad about. <laughs> yeah, but um, uh, Eric Bedard, that's just really one of those names that was like, for some reason in my head, he was like, yeah, this guy's gonna be really sick. Like, he's going to be around for a little while, and yeah. then, of course, he and I just... feel like now fresher in my mind, I think of Eric Bedard as, like, this journeyman guy who just, like, you know, bounced around, right? Because that's like, what... was, like, a sixth start, spot starter or, like, a reliever. Yeah, like, made some starts for the Astros that none of which were very good. Yeah. Um. But, yeah, sad story. All of these... The 100 lost Astros. <laughs> All of these really sad. Also, one other thing um, I, that I want to bring up, when you Googled his name, now he's Canadian. But he has an accent over the E in Eric and, and the E, and the e Bedard. in Bedard. I want to. Are we pronouncing this wrong? Is it Eric? Is it? <laughs> is he, he French? He's probably French. He, he probably is French. But like, how do you? What is what does baseball reference say that the pronunciation is? Oh, oh, they have that information. That's just Eric Bedard. Yeah, it appears to be that way. Uh, from now on, I'm going to pronounce it Eric Bedard. Bedard. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you're up next. <laughs> Um, he just has hella numbers over here that he wore. <laughs> he wore, okay, he wore 
57 and 45 with the Orioles. He wore 45 with Seattle, 23 with Boston, 45 again um, with Pittsburgh for a year. Then he came Oh, then he got back to wearing orange by being with the Astros, and he was 45. And then he finished his career off by wearing number 40 for um, the Rays. Why? Why the number changes? I don't know. Was 45 taken on all of these teams? (laughs) That's not a common number. I guess not, but maybe, like, I mean, if you're a young guy and, like, a really good veteran comes in who wants your number, you'll be like, yeah, I'll give it up. But I feel like maybe at this point, Eric Bedard, like, wasn't good (laughs) enough to, like, be worth giving your number up for. So he was like, fine, I'll change. Eric Eric Bedard wasn't wasn't good enough to, like, make it worth giving up your number. Like, he was like, yo, can I get 45, please? It's like, like, dude, dude, you have a 6 ERA. Chill. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Anyway, uh, my next guy, moving on to the other side of the ball, uh, is one Grady Sizemore. He, he was supposed to be, like, the next big thing, right? He was supposed right? to be, like, Willie Mays good. Yeah. No, it was actually, like, the had the hype of, like, Mike Trout in the mid-2000s where he's like, oh, this is the guy who can post a 50-50 season. Yeah, like, Barry Bonds is coming into, like, the retirement age. Here comes Grady Sizemore. Yeah, exactly. As, like, <laughs> the savior and the face of baseball. And, like, he was so good for a few years. He had four, four or five years of full playing time, and he won a couple gold gloves and and got MVP votes in every one of those years and made three all-star teams. His best year was really, I guess, 2006, his uh, age 23 season. First of all, he played every single game, so like in theory, could have been a model of health, right? He played every single game in 06 and 07, yeah. but also... In the year sandwiching that, 05 and 08, he played 158 and 157. So, like, that is that is Trout-esque. Yeah. And put up back-to-back over six war seasons, back to 6.6 wins above replacement uh, by baseball reference standards. Yo, my mom texted me this morning and asked what this war stat that we were talking about was. (laughs) It's, like, in all lowercase. And she was like, what is this war thing that you guys keep saying? And then I realized, like, we never really went over that. No, we're just kind of like, oh, his ERA plus. Yo, his FIP, man. His war. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, back to our boy. Yeah, he that 2006 season, he was really good. He hit 290 with 28 home runs, 134 runs scored, which, again, I know, not an indicator of um, his ability necessarily. But he walked 100 times in 2007. So was, like, one of these, like, all-around players, right? Good in the field. Uh, good at taking a pitch, good at taking one out of the ballpark, put up, I guess he actually, he didn't put up a 30-30 season. No, wait, he did put up a 30-30 season. 33 home runs, 38 stolen bases in 2008. So, right, one of these guys who can uh, impact the game in every single way. Again, Trout-esque, right? He was a five-tool player. Like, he was a legitimate five-tool player. Yeah. He was going to be that guy for the Indians and then just could not stay healthy, which is, again, <laughs> what happens to every one of these guys. And uh, maybe Every one of these guys except the next guy that I'm going to bring up. Yeah, okay, fair. <laughs> but, yeah, it just couldn't make it work. And I know he tried to make – I kind of forget about this, but he was out of the game for three years. Like, did not – like, played a game in 2011 and then didn't play another one until 2014 until he tried to make his comeback with – He like, didn't the, try to make his comeback. He did make a comeback. He played in 112 games. Yeah, but – uh, he wasn't very good. <laughs> no. He was on the Phillies in that year? Yeah. Wow. I didn't even know that. And I usually pride myself on being pretty good with knowing Phillies players so that I can hate them. He was actually okay in 2015. I mean, like, not what he was before, but, like, you know, 253, six home runs in... That 307 OBP hurts, though. Yeah, it does hurt. But, like, what what else did the Phillies have at that at that point? Yeah, they were literally trying to lose. Yeah. Um, and then the Rays brought him in because the Rays can make anyone a reclamation project. Yeah. Sad. Yeah, it is sad. He was. Uh, you what know, a great name, also. Can oh, we just talk about, like... Amazing, not, not even, amazing baseball name. Yeah, not even related to baseball at all. He would, he would have, like, low-key pushed to be on the all-name team. Not to mention, he was drafted by the Expos, which I didn't know. Damn. TBT. So he's got he's got a lot of baseball lineage going for him. I guess that makes sense. I mean, he's t- his first year in the majors was 04. Yeah. So the Expos would have been like around still. Yeah. Yeah. Grady Sizemore. Probably made a lot of money though. Oh, certainly. Probably made a decent amount of money. So he's probably not hurting in that sense. His career OPS plus is still 115. Like it's still positive. Oh, I mean, man, basically managed when he was on the field, 
was productive, right? Just yeah. literally could not stay healthy. Reminds me of like, I don't know, Matt Kemp. Yeah. yeah another one of these guys who like se- second coming or, I can't or picture... third coming of Willie Mays. I don't know <laughs> at this point. <laughs> I can't picture um, a fat Grady Sizemore still like subsisting in Checking MLB. Along. <laughs> Matt Kemp's making it work, man. Yeah, for real. So sh- shouts out to him. Okay, next one, no injuries. I mean, maybe he did get injured, but no injuries that derailed his career, no bizarre circumstances, just utterly became bad at baseball right when he was acquired by the New York (laughs) Metropolitans, and that is he, of gigantic contract, can only play left field in front of the green monster. Drum roll, please. Jason Bay. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Why? Okay. Jason Bay won the Rookie of the Year in 2005. He was an all-star. In, not to mention as a 25-year-old, so kind of a late bloomer guy. He played a few games in 2003, and then his first like full season up, fullish was 2004, and he played 120 games. He won the Rookie of the Year. 05, 06, back-to-back all-star um, with the Pirates, if you'll remember. He had a very good like middle of his career with the Pirates, or beginning of his career with the Pirates. He got MVP votes in 05 and 06, and then, if you'll remember, I believe they traded him to Boston, and this was when Boston was, like, making their, like, late 2000s title pushes, so he wasn't part of, like, any of the the 04, like, Miracle or anything like that, but I think he was on, like, one of their World Series teams, right? No, he never won a World Series, but anyway, so he goes to Boston. He's, like, pretty good in Boston. Like, he's known as, like, a pretty productive slugger and... His defense is not great, and he's in front of the monster, so that helps him out a little bit because everything just plays off the wall there. And so the Mets are like, it's 2009. He comes in seventh in MVP voting. He wins the Silver Slugger. He's an all-star. It's the it's, it's a contract year, so, man, he really saved it for the fucking contract year. And the Mets are like, yeah, sure, we'll pony up. And so they give him a four-year, $66 million deal. For the team that is all Will Pond out, who has no other money, they spend it all on Jason Bay. And do you know what Jason Bay proceeds to do in the first year of his four-year $66 million contract with the Mets? He hits two fifty nine. He hits six home runs. Oh. <laughs> and he only plays 95 games. God. And he never has a season after that where he hits more than 12 home runs. And then, so that's 2010. That was his first year with the Mets. He spends the next two years with them, and then they essentially... Uh, trade him to Seattle and buy out the last two years of his contract and he's out of baseball after 2013 like retired he hit in the successive years after his 36 home run uh, contract year with Boston he hit 6 home runs in 2010 with the Mets 12 home runs in 2011 with the Mets 8 home runs in 2012 with the Mets and they traded him to Seattle in 2013 and he hit 11 home runs he literally did for the next four years for the entirety of the contract the Mets gave him did not hit as many home runs as he hit in this contract year with the Red Sox. Oh man! Oh, and that's when the essentially I mean this is probably not when it started but this is like he was first in a long streak of Mets outfielders who literally could not field for shit. Successively followed by Sean Green, who they traded for from the Rockies, is another guy that you probably forgot about. And now with like a modern day, we got our Jay Bruce's, we got our uh, Ioannis Cespedes's, yeah. <laughs> we got our forty-year-old Curtis Grandersons, Aww. we got our Michael Conforto in center fields. <laughs> it's just like this was really where it all started to spiral for me because. 2010 it was like oh we just signed jason bay like he was seventh in mvp voting last year like he's gonna really like anchor the middle of our lineup and he's gonna be some um help for david wright sad and then it just all went to shit and it was like these were the worst years of mets fandom between 2010 and 2012 yeah this one's personal for you yeah it's really like i saw a guy wearing a jason bay jersey at a mets game like a month back and (laughs) It's just like, why, dude? Yeah, it just hurts. Yeah, what are you I doing? have a friend who has a Pirates Jason Bay jersey. I'm like, that's a that's a keeper. Yeah, that's a relic. Yeah. 
this is of just a different like, era. Yeah, really. <laughs> this is just like a shitstorm. Um, real quick, uh, a bit of a tangent. I was curious kind of how that Rookie of the Year voting went because I'm like, oh, he only played in 120 games. I wonder if there was anyone who like played more or I don't know. Uh, I was curious. He only That was only like a 2.2 war season for him. So I was like, oh, let's see who else was on here. I'm just going to read you these names. Y- you'll maybe recognize one, maybe two. But this is weird, man. Okay. <laughs> First, Jason Bay. This was 2004. Yeah. Uh, 2004. Second, Khalil Green. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Third, Akinori Otsuka. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, the, Akinori. The, the noted Padres um, physician player. <laughs> <laughs> the noted Padres, not pitcher. <laughs> um, fourth was Aaron Miles. Nope. Uh, Nothing. Yeah. Um, this, and then we have a uh, Matt Holiday appearance. Okay. Okay. Matt Holiday. Uh, sixth, Kazuo Matsui. Yeah, Kaz Matsui. Yeah. You don't. Are you no? I'm being serious. You don't know who Kaz Matsui is. I mean, I know of him. I mean, yeah. you're, he played for the Mets, right? <laughs> yeah. So he got the votes there. But he played um, second base. Yeah. And um, <laughs> fun little story. I had a teammate on my little league team who also played second base, who was also named Kaz. I love that. And we just called him Kaz Matsui because <laughs> Kaz Matsui played second for the Mets at yeah. the same time. Um, but the last guy on this list is the one and only Termel Sledge. Termal Sledge. Termal Sledge. It sounds like a deadly condition. Um, he, <laughs> while we're doing uh, eulogies, only had a, a four-year baseball career. He got rookie of the year votes, so props to him, man. But yeah, he didn't. Didn't he wait? Did he play for the Brewers? Uh, nope. But he. Played... Can I keep guessing? Wait, wait. This is a new game. Can All I right. keep guessing until I get the team that he played for? That he uh, that first year that yeah, rookie yeah, year. Yeah. yeah, go for it. This will be fun. <laughs> is it in the NL? Uh. Y- yes. Astros. N- no. Wait, why are you so confused when I asked if it was in the NL? Keep guessing. Expos. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> they were an NL team, right? Yeah. Yeah. That They are the Nationals. I know, I know, yeah. yeah. Damn, dog. Termel Sledge. Uh, yeah, the one and only. <laughs> anyway. So it's like something that fun. your car gets. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, or like, or like a car broke down. Get Termel Sledge, <laughs> <laughs> the one thing guaranteed to clear up all your car ga- gastrointestinal problems. Is that what they call it? Yeah. Uh, pipes won't train. Termel Sledge has your back. <laughs> God. All right. Oh God, we're really going down the rabbit hole here. All right, who's up next? One other guy I want to mention, and I feel like this is kind of obligatory when we're talking about this. The the guys who flamed out in the mid two thousands. But Brandon Webb, who, again, was going to be the next big thing on the mound, but, like, actually was the next big thing. Uh, Won the Cy Young in 2006 when he was 27, came up in second place two years after that, and then in 2009 pitched one game and didn't pitch a single one after that. Brandon Webb was incredible. Like, it's hard to overstate how good he was and how untouchable his sinker was. Yeah. Like, he would just get everyone to roll over. He had basically six full years as a starting pitcher, and his highest ERA in that time was 3.59. That was, like, his worst season was his basically first full season as a Major League Baseball player when he was 25, so came up a little late. Uh, You know, career 3.27 ERA, and posted he posted a six war season his first year in the major leagues that's as a pitcher incredible and he finished third in rookie of the year voting imagine if he had come up in 2004 <laughs> one year later <laughs> you don't think termo sledge would have had him <laughs> so he's six three the ball coming like on this downward plane from him and him throwing a sinker just made it so hard to like make good contact on that and from what i remember of him was just like he could locate like anywhere on the lower half of the zone and just like make anyone look silly or like make like just as he sapped other players' power just completely away from them. Yeah. And so another one where it's sad to see like such a decline, but we got we were lucky enough to see enough of him that he could like secure a Cy Young, finish second in Cy Young twice. Yeah. And make three straight All Star games. And I think he's one he's one of these guys who's often talked about as like what the hell happened, right? I mean, you he never I think he did make a comeback attempt or two, but like never made it back 
to a major league mound. Um, and we can go look at his minor no, league. No, and he spent all of his time in Arizona. Yeah, right? Um, so, like, he never really tried to make a comeback with another team. So, he, uh, actually, he did. I guess in 2011, he pitched 12 innings for the Rangers A team, but he gave up 13 runs and, I don't know, just an ill-fated comeback attempt at 32, and that was just it, man. That was the best he had. And, you know... Here's the thing. Um, he made $20 million, so that's pretty good for seven uh, years' work. I mean, yeah. Again, this is all with the caveat of, like, I don't feel necessarily bad for them, you know? Especially like, Jason Bay. Fuck you, Jason Bay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm um, sure Jason Bay's a good guy. He, Yeah, he made um, more money. Aaron Harang? <laughs> what? Yo. All right, we got another one. <laughs> Damn. Aaron Harang is just on Brandon Webb's baseball <laughs> reference page. It's like in the player news, the third thing is the writer's journey. Happy Red's birthday, Aaron Harang. <laughs> wow, wow. Yeah. Oh, my God, love. Aaron Harang was a stri- high strikeout, low walk pitcher. He led the National League with 4.192 strikeouts per base on balls in 2007. What a formal way of saying that. And came in fourth in Cy Young voting behind Jake Peavy, Brandon Webb, and Brad Penny. This is a trip down memory lane, dude. Yeah. Um, uh, we're I just going to like go down. Like, we're just going to start reading stuff to you. These are just like high strikeout right-handed pitchers who look like they should be sitting at a bar. <laughs> um, yeah, Aaron Harang and Brandon Webb actually look the exact same. <laughs> <laughs> um, go look it up. For Lightweight yourself. Mr. Tumnus vibes. One of the... If you search Brandon Webb, make sure you put it in baseball because apparently Brandon Webb is a former United States Navy SEAL and SEAL sniperhead instructor with one combat deployment to Afghanistan and one to Iraq. Oh, yeah. I'm interested in reading more about him. Um, but we can read his stats on the next show. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think one of the most impressive things that Brandon Webb did was in that first full year in 2004, he walked 119 guys, which is ridiculous, and he led the league. And his stri- his walks per nine were above five. And the next year, he literally cut that in half, down to 2.3, and basically managed to maintain his uh, walk rate in like the mid twos for the rest of his short-lived career. He was literally like, yeah, I'm just going to stop throwing balls. Yeah. Good for him. Oh, yeah. All right. So that's sad. Oh, actually, wait. I have one other that I just want to mention real quick. This is another uh, recent one, but I want to remind you of Prince Fielder and all his glory. Damn. Who just... uh, Not really one, like we said before, that really got like cut short. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it was cut short from like the the tail end of his career, but he had a really good prime. Yeah, again, and another guy who put together like four seasons of playing every single game was the model for like a perfect bill of health. And then in the last couple years, just uh, the neck injuries just got to him and sapped his power and made it really, really hard to watch. And there's that video of him um, as he basically announces his retirement from baseball. That's one of the the more sad videos I have, I don't know, ever watched. I have like a world's worth of respect for Prince Fielder. In 2015, he made the All-Star team. He hit 305, 23 homers. Damn, that's really good. Yeah, was... On pace to have, like, a Hall of Fame career, honestly, if he'd kept it up. Yeah. He hit 50 home runs. Yeah, that's (laughs) utterly absurd. Yeah, we don't, I mean, we don't talk a lot about, like, in terms of, like, best, like, best players of our lifetime or, like, best power hitters hitters of our lifetime. We don't really talk about Prince Fielder. But, like, in Milwaukee with basically no one else on the team (laughs) except Ryan Braun, I, I guess those teams were all right. But we don't, I mean, we don't talk about Prince Fielder in Milwaukee as much because he had the stints in Detroit. For some reason, that sticks in my mind a lot. And then, like, the end in Texas. But Milwaukee, Prince Fielder was absolutely electric and also so fast. Like, remember, like, there were all the videos of him, like, getting around the bases and just, like, how ridiculous it would look to see a dude that big just, like, get around the bases so fast. But he had 50 home runs in 07. And uh, 46 in 09, so twice over 45 home runs. Yeah. God. And was robbed of MVP by Jimmy Rollins. Boo. Boo. That was a narrative award. They wanted, they just wanted someone from the fucking Phillies to win it. Also, uh, one of the weirder baseball stats is that he retired with the exact same number of home runs as his father. That is weird. That's, I don't know, that's a little eerie. (laughs) Drum and hold the phone. The sun came. 
Uh, but anyway, yeah, we should uh, probably end this <laughs> like sob fest <laughs> over players who who were gone too soon. Yeah, we've uh, we've gone super duper long on this, but if there's one that's particularly like close to your heart and we forgot about them uh, or just didn't have time to talk about them, let us know. Shoot us an email. Yeah, we get tons of emails these days, so if it takes us a little while to get back to you, just we apologize. <laughs> oh, I'll, tweet at us. I did I did forget to mention this actually a couple weeks ago. Um, we reached out and we were trying to set up an interview with Tim Tebow, um, but they said no. Uh, so that's uh, that's bullshit. We c- close that one. <laughs> we're gonna well, keep trying. We're gonna be in talks with his agent, and you know, I'm sure he has one person who like handles his public relations and stuff. Yeah, and we might not have Tim Tebow for you next week, but we will have a special guest. Yeah, we will. So tune in. Yeah, um, we're excited. First uh, guest of the show. Guest of the pod. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you all for listening. And uh, check back in with us next week. Yeah, see you soon.